Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Wonderful. That's all right. Carry on. No worries. All right then. Well, good morning, all you beautiful people. You're looking good. Praise the Lord. I'd like to show you some artwork this morning to start with. Could you put the first slide up, please? There we go. Can you see that? Can you see that clearly enough? wonder if you'd have a chat with the person next to you and see if you can guess what scripture that painting is about. Just talk to the person next to you. What do you think it is? Any ideas? Give me some feedback. Just shout out. What do you think it's about? Old Testament. So we've narrowed it down. She's right. Yes. Yes. She's got the right story. She says the river coming from the, the throne of God and it's ankle deep, knee deep and then waist deep. <laughs> Anyone know the passage? Ezekiel? Yes. 47. Let's turn to Ezekiel 47. And I want to share something with you which has been laid on my heart, really to inspire you to realize what a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian. I want you to feel overwhelmed today by how fantastic it is to be a Christian, what great blessings we have in Christ. You know, I've given it a sort of a title, um, which might sound a bit odd, considering what I've just said, but pie in the sky when you die. Lots of people talk about Christianity as if it's pie in the sky when you die. You know, it's a hard thing to be a Christian, but you can get through, just keep going, and eventually your reward awaits you. Which is true, but that's not the whole picture. And it's certainly not the picture that Jesus wants us to take. Because Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Life abundantly. Not just to exist, just to scrape through, just to get through. Often people talk about it like it's a marathon. And they'll say, in the marathon, you just got to keep going. And you keep going. And, you know, that last mile seems really long. But you just keep going and eventually you'll cross the line. Jesus doesn't work like that. In the New Testament, it says, press on as to win the prize. You know, when you watch uh, the marathon that's today, there'll be people at the front who are professional athletes and they'll be striding because they'll do a marathon in two hours or whatever else. They'll be striding. They're running as to win the prize. They're not plodding through. 
And I want to tell you as a Christian, you should be striving as to win the prize. You should be running. Your legs should be outstretched, metaphorically speaking. You should be running towards the goal, not just plodding through. Okay, Ezekiel 47, have you found it now? And he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my knees. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there, along the bank of the river, there were many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. And there will be a great multitude of fish, because these waters go there, for they will be healing, they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. And that shall be that there will be fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Eglame, and they will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many, but its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. But along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Hallelujah. Here's the thing. There are lots of messages that you could draw from this passage. You know, sometimes you could preach it as being about getting into the Holy Spirit, being deeper and deeper in God. You could speak about the fact that the trees grow on both sides of the river, and you can find that in other passages of Scripture, including the last page of the Bible in Revelation 22. We'll come to that. You can talk about the fact that the, if you know the geography of the area, you know that Jerusalem, to the east, there's the Rift Valley, the Jordan Rift Valley, where the Dead Sea is. And the Dead Sea, if you've ever seen it, it's like a, a chemical puddle. It's full of salt. Nothing lives in it. It's dead, hence its name. But it says here that this water will flow into it and refresh it, and there'll be fishermen. Everything will be alive. So you could use that as a great illustration of the way that God can come into somebody's dead 
sinful, corrupted life like ours and refresh and renew and bring life. And so we're alive where once we were dead. There are lots of messages that you can draw from this passage. But I'd like to ask you a question. Do you think that this is a literal thing that's actually going to happen? Or do you think that it's a, a parable, a sort of allegory, a fictional story to paint an idea? Or do you think it's something spiritual? What do you think in your own minds? Do you think it's something that's actually going to happen, literally? Will there literally be a huge temple in Jerusalem from which a river will flow? And that river will flow out to the Dead Sea and down to the Mediterranean and become a great place. Well, I'm going to tell you something. My answer is yes. All of it. Because there's a spiritual fulfillment and a literal fulfillment of these scriptures. And it's one of those things that actually gets me very, very excited. You see, this uh, particular passage was taken and understood to be, uh, you know, a, a picture of the Holy Spirit or of God's Word flowing from Jerusalem during the Messianic age, the age to come, the wonderful age that God is going to inaugurate one day. You know, God's going to transform this world. When Jesus comes back, he's got good plans, big plans. And we're going to be part of that, something to look forward to. But what I want to get across to you today is that you shouldn't just be looking forward to that, as if you've got to endure this life and get through this life as long as I just keep going, I can carry on. And eventually I'll sort of scrape through into the kingdom and then it will be greatly blessed and then I'll have a, a good life. How many of you think of your eternal life as something that you're going to start Do you not realize that Jesus said, if you believe in him, you have crossed over from death to life. You are already alive in Christ. You've started your eternal life. You're not waiting for it. You've already got that. The day you were born again, your life started. Because this is life. It's to know God. If you know God, you know life. This is a wonderful thing, and this is one of the things that I really want to get across to you. It's fantastic to have these visions of the future. It's fantastic to have a hope that Jesus is coming back, that there's a great kingdom, that there's a great future. And there is, and I want you to hold that dear. But don't hold on to that at the sacrifice of living life to the full now. I want to get across to you today that Jesus has good things for you in the here and now today. And you're missing out on those things if you are just thinking about the future. It's a bit like Acts 1, where Jesus disappears up in front of them, disappears into the clouds. And then two angels appear and say to the disciples, what are you doing looking up into the sky? Go about your business. You've got the Great Commission. Busy, busy. Come on, off you go. And this is the thing, as Christians, we should be busy in the here and now with the Great Commission, with looking after the church, with looking after this world, being a shining light for Cambridge and the rest of the world. Because God has got good things for us in the here and now. It's not just pie in the sky when you die. Too many people have got that idea of Christianity. 
And I want you to lose that idea. I don't want you to lose the future hope and the future vision and the the expectation that God's going to do great things in the end times and in the age to come. Hold on to that. That's vital. But grab hold of the things that God has for you today. And I really want you to move into life in the spirit. I want you to move into life to the full, life abundant. Because otherwise, we're missing out. You know, Ezekiel 47, because the Holy Spirit was a picture of, uh, sorry, the water was a picture of the Holy Spirit running from the temple. If you're aware of this, in Israel they had the feasts, they had the festivals, and they had the festival of tabernacles. And at Tabernacles, they had a tradition of pouring water down the steps. And, uh, you know, the, the idea was that they would get the, a jar of water from the pool of Siloam, and they would pour it down the steps. Now, this wasn't actually commanded in the Bible, but it was something that was uh, a well-known tradition. And it's something they did as a picture of the Holy Spirit flowing from the temple. And Jesus picks up in that in, uh, in the book of John. In the Gospel of John. All right. So if you turn to John 7, then you'll see Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'm going to indulge in a little bit of analysis before we move on and make our major points. Okay. But first of all, have a look at John uh, John 7, verse 37. You all got it? Okay then. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here he is. Here's Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, where they've poured water down the steps. And he cries out, and he says, you need to come to me. You need to come to me. And this is this is something which is, is quite beautiful. But the way that it reads, as the scripture is displayed, when you look at verse 37... It normally comes across that it's the believer from whom the water flows, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, that's true, because in John 4, verse 14, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well and said, if you drink from me, it will become a well of eternal life, of living water flowing from you. All right? So that's right. And that's why most translations have it the way that it's laid out there, that the believer will be the source of this water, because it fits in with John 4. However, if you look at the text of the Bible as it was originally written, can you show the scribe the, the scroll? You'll see something interesting. The way that the scriptures were written was all in capital letters with no spaces and no punctuation. It's like a Wi-Fi password. All uppercase, no spaces, right? Now, the point is this, that actually it's just down to the translators to make an estimated idea of where the punctuation should be. And actually, I prefer to change 
the way that it's laid out. Because it actually makes more sense when you read it another way. And what you'll see with the way that I've arranged it, when the slide comes up, is it should read, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me. As the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow out of his belly. Who is his? It's not the believer, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Just look at the two, you see the way that it's just laid out. All I've done is move the punctuation. But it's actually Jesus from whom the rivers flow. Now it does flow as well, the river also flows from the believer. And I think it's deliberately written because you can take it either way, and I think it's deliberate. But the point is that I want to make is that you understand that this is drawn from Isaiah and from Zechariah and from Ezekiel and a few other scriptures, and they're actually put together because there's no actual quote like this in the Bible. Right? It's actually a combination of several scriptures. And the point is this, that in John's Gospel, Jesus is the temple, as is the believer. But it's mainly that Jesus is the temple. In John 2, of course, he cleared the temple and uh, they said, what sign can you give us? And he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. And they went, you what? Because they were thinking about the big building. But the building, the, the temple that he's spoken of was his body. And after the resurrection, the disciples understood what he had said. Now, if you grasp that, you understand that Jesus is the temple and it's from him that the river flows. It's from Jesus, it's from the temple that the river of the Holy Spirit flows. I want you to grasp that. Now, that might just sound like a load of analysis. Thank you. But the truth is that I want you to grasp just what that means to us. Just as surely as we look at Ezekiel 47 and we say, oh, what a wonderful thought. It's going to be a great temple and there's going to be a river and it's going to bring life and it's going to refresh and it's going to renew. What a wonderful thing to look forward to. I want you to understand something. It's already happened and we've already received it. We already have that temple. That temple is Jesus. We already have that river. It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave to us. We already have those trees that produce fruit. That's us. We are producing fruit 12 months of the year. We are refreshing others because we ourselves are part of that temple. And that's not just in John's Gospel. You find that in other scriptures. You know, Peter talks about us being living stones, being built together into a temple. In Corinthians, it says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? This is wonderful stuff. Because we already have that. We're not waiting for something. We're not treading water until somebody comes and rescues us. We are already enjoying the benefits of the kingdom. We are already in that place where we have a temple. We have the river. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the fruit in season and out of season. Because that's what it's like to be a Christian. What does it say in Psalm 1? It talks about the tree that's got its its roots down into a river, and it's green. And in a time of drought, it doesn't have to worry. Jeremiah 17 says something similar. 
You don't have to worry if there's a drought. How many of us find that life is hard? It doesn't matter because we've got Jesus. Wake up, people. Realize that you've got life to the full already. You're not waiting for something. You've already received that. God has already fulfilled his promises. Sorry, I get a bit excited. I'm excited. I think this is absolutely fantastic. This is one of the most wonderful teachings of the New Testament. Because we have life to the full. And we have it already. Hallelujah. We are dwelling with God. You know the dream in Leviticus 26? It was a dream that God would dwell amongst his people. He would pitch his tabernacle amongst them. And in John 1 verse 14 it says that Jesus has tabernacled amongst us. And he is. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God indwells us. In John 14, Jesus said that he would send the Comforter and the Father and he would come and make his home in us. I love that expression. It's a really cozy expression. Do you realize that you are God's home? He lives in you. He doesn't just exist in you or empower you. He dwells there. He lives there. You're his home. That's a wonderful thought. So we're indwelt by God, and God dwells in us. We dwell in him. That's the wonderful thing. We've already received that wonderful promise. The vision of, you know, the, uh, of Ezekiel 37, and in Leviticus 26, it talks about the fact that God would dwell amongst his people. And that was always a vision that the Jews held dear and still do. But that vision is only that we would actually live next door to God. You know, there'd be his tabernacle and there would be our tabernacle. We'd dwell just like he did in the wilderness. That was the idea that God's tabernacle would be at the middle of the camp and God's people would be around him. We would all dwell next door to God. Imagine that. That's wonderful, isn't it? The thought that God could be next door. You could pop in and visit him. And talk to him. And in Isaiah and other scriptures, it talks about the fact that God would teach his people and they would all be taught by him. But living next door is only second best compared to what Jesus gives us. Because we actually live in him and he lives in us. How intimate can that be? That's far more intimate than living next door. That's living with, in God. And when it says that he would teach them all, you know, there's this idea of, of God going around and teaching people, but how much time could you have with him? Just a little bit at a time. I'm just thinking of it in human terms. But Jesus said, I'll send you the spirit of truth and he will remind you of all things and lead you into all truth. He will teach you. By the Holy Spirit, we are taught by God. Now, you know, whenever I do a Bible study, my first thing, my first prayer is, Lord, you be the teacher. You know, sometimes people get excited because there's a certain somebody coming to preach or teach. And they say, yeah, he's a doctor, doctor, professor or whatever from university. Oh, he's a fantastic teacher. You know, he's an expert. He's he's the foremost expert. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit. He's the teacher. I'm not a teacher. None of us are teachers. We're all students. 
but we have the Holy Spirit as our teacher. That's something to get excited about. And you see, these are the things. These are the things that the Jews would dream of. You see them in the in the end times visions of the age to come, the messianic kingdom. We've already got them. Get excited. Something to be glad of. He also said all the nations would join. And in Christ, all nations join together. You know, once upon a time it was generally thought of that it was just Jews and Israelites who could be in the kingdom, but now anybody can join. Actually, that's always been the case, but the Jews made it a bit more exclusive, a bit of a club. And we likewise are a temple as well. And so therefore we refresh others. You know, this is not a time to be selfish. You know, in John 4, he spoke about it being a well, us being a well. You know something about a well? Nowadays, people don't use them because we all have everything on tap. But with a well, what you find is that if you don't draw water out, it goes stagnant. If you want fresh water, you have to keep taking water out because otherwise it gets full with bugs and things like that. And you know something? If you're a Christian... You're like a well, you're like a spring, you need to give out, you need to refresh others, you need to serve God, you need to tell people the, the, the gospel, fulfill the great commission. And the more you do that, the more God will refresh you. Because when, you know, we just keep to ourselves, we become stagnant as Christians. This church is the village well for Cambridge. And we need Cambridge to draw the water out so that fresh water can flow in. And I want to encourage you this morning, be exactly that. Be the village well for Cambridge. About a year ago, we were talking about that in the men's meeting. You know how we are a village well. And, you know, it takes people to to take hold of that and say, look, I'm not waiting for other people to do it. I'm called to service. Everybody is called to service. Every man, woman, and child in here should be preaching the gospel, sharing the love of Jesus with the people around them. And when we do that, then we ourselves will be refreshed. Because that's the whole point of being a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to be filled with the sort of Shekinah glory of God and have a great time on a Sunday morning. It's to give out. It's to give out, to refresh others, to water the fields, to bring up the crops so that the trees can grow and produce fruit. Amen? Like I say, and I emphasize, still, there are fulfillments in the future. There are literal fulfillments. I believe that these things will actually come to pass, physically. One day, you will be able to walk to Jerusalem and see a huge temple and a river flowing out to the Dead Sea and to the Mediterranean. But I don't want you to hold on to that, thinking, oh, it'll be worth getting through. You know, we'll get there eventually. I want you to realize that you've got good things now. I want you to realize that God has got a veritable banquet of things for you to take. You know there's food downstairs. It's up to you whether you leave hungry or full. People can put the food out, but if you just stand there and look at it, you're going to go hungry. Do you want to go home hungry? Dive in. Dig in. Get some food. Fill yourself. 
Amen? And this is the point. God has got so much for us, but sometimes we're too timid. We're too timid. You know, we just want a little bit. You know, the worship's on, but we'll just sit there going. Throw yourself, just like the river in Ezekiel. You know, if you only paddle in God, you're only going to get wet to your socks. If you want to be soaked in the Holy Spirit, you need to dive. Please don't dive on the tables downstairs because it will make a dreadful mess. All right? That's a metaphor, okay? But what I would say is take everything that God's for us. You know, God has put a banquet in front of us. Take it. Grab hold of it. Make the most of it. So many people, they come to church. They don't really take part. They go home and say, it's a bit boring being a Christian, really. Not getting much out of it. You're not putting anything into it. That's why. You'll reap what you sow. And so, therefore, you know, you come to the meetings not to get things out, but to put things in, to join in the worship, to join in the prayer, to pray for other people, to encourage other people. Give, give, give. That's where you receive. That's where you receive. Turn, if you would, to the last page of the Bible, and we'll close with this. To uh, to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 21. Have you found it? All right. The 12 gates. This is talking about the future world that God is going to make. So the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there should be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, and they have no need of a lamp or light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants 
the things that must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. These words are faithful and true. I want you to take to heart the wonderful promises that God has got for you. Take to heart the fact that God has given you so much now that you can live life to the full. It's exciting to be a Christian. I love being a Christian. You know, sometimes you see people become Christians and they're, they're all excited because it's all new. And then after a while, it kind of wears off. But for me, I've been a saved for 30 odd years and I'm more excited now than I was the day I got saved. I've, you know, there's so much to do as a Christian. There's so much to enjoy. So much to make the most of. And if that wasn't enough, we've still got things to look forward to. A new world. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Hallelujah. You pray. Lord and Father, we want to rejoice this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, that you are our temple and that there is truly a river of life flowing from you. A river that brings life. It's flowed into our lives and... It's transformed us. We were once like the Dead Sea, but now we are full of life. Lord, it is good to be a new creation. Lord, it is good to be in the kingdom. Lord, it is good to be alive, because once we were dead, but now we are alive. We've crossed from death to life. We just pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to appreciate that, Lord, to enjoy that, and to live it to the full. To come into that realization, to give us a revelation of what that really means. So that, Lord, we could step forward into what you have for us and become a living church, to become a wellspring, a village well for Cambridge, a wellspring of eternal life, bringing life to all those around us, all these lost souls, all these people walking in darkness, that they would see the light that you are. Not our light, it's your light. We just pray, Lord, that it would shine through us, that we would be a beacon, a lighthouse in Cambridge, a beacon of hope, a beacon of life. And we ask it in your precious name. And all God's children said, Amen. Bless you. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.